Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you would, uh, be opening your Bibles. And in just a moment, we'll begin uh, Exodus, the second chapter. Exodus, the second chapter, second book in the Bible, if you want to be turning there. We appreciate Jeremy and Danae so much. And following the services, we look forward to the opportunity to honor them. And if you're a guest with us tonight, we welcome you uh, to the gathering that we'll have after services. It'll be a baked potato bar, and we would love for you to hang around and let us get to know you better. We are thankful for the opportunity to put an emphasis this month on uh, simple kindness. And if you were here this morning, you heard all about it. If you were not here, you can pick up a flyer at the Information Center. And also you'll want to pick up a pack of 10 cards and all of that will be explained there. And uh, everybody keep in mind uh, the opportunity to do that. And then if you will, go online and post what you've done so that uh, it can encourage others. And of course, the post is anonymous, so it's not bragging. It's doing uh, it's encouraging others to do God's will also. And that's what we want to do is we want to feed off of each other. We want to encourage each other to do God's will every day in our life. Just a quick sentence of review of so many things. It is amazing how much is going on in the life of this church right now. Uh, over 300 families were helped by your generosity this past weekend. We appreciate everyone that helped with that, everyone who gave that, and JP's effort in organizing that. Our campaign group from Parkersburg, West Virginia is home. Fifteen souls were baptized into Christ. Thousands of doors and contacts were made. And uh, we appreciate Mike Keeby's uh, leadership in that particular area. Appreciate JP and Jamie Harper preaching last Sunday, the powerful jobs that they did. They're great men of God and have a wonderful gift in preaching his word. We appreciate <clears throat> Trey's leadership in Vacation Bible School. We're coming off of a tremendous Vacation Bible School, and God has blessed us in many ways. This month, are you open to agape? Are you open to kindness? Are you open to reaching out to others? Habitat for Humanity, the Mount Juliet congregation on August the 14th will be helping build a home to help one of our neighbors neighbors in this county. You can see JP on that. Your help is needed. There are slots open. There's only so many slots per Saturday and we need your help on August the 14th. So be sure if you're available on that day to see JP, send him an email this week. Uh, see him tonight. Let him know about that. You know, we, I sent out these surveys this morning and literally received back a stack, I guess, well, well over a hundred and so many of them were so good. I just pulled a few of them out to share a few parts of each one with you to think about who your children are and what their interest is and things of, uh, and things of that nature. I'll give you an idea of what the sheet would look like by reading uh, just Aiden's for you. And, and I won't read each one of them fully from here, but this gives you an idea. Aiden is going in second grade and he says, I look forward to school because of my friends. My favorite part of the summer was seeing my family. My favorite part of school is learning. By the way, not many of the junior high students put that. The part of school I like the least, the part of school I like the least is getting in trouble. Uh, what makes a teacher a great teacher is when they know what they're doing. And what do you want to be when you grow up? And he says, F-R-T-O-G-R-F-E-R, -E photographer. And uh, we're, we're thankful that Aiden wants to do that. Now, Andy Sanders... He's going in seventh grade and he looks forward to school because his mom and dad are going to see their tax dollars at work. <laughs> I like, I like uh, Cara Burchett. I knew I liked her and here's another reason why I liked her. When she grows up, she wants to own a cupcake shop. 
All for that. I can really identify, and I imagine several of you can identify with little Caitlin Druin. She's in first grade, and the part of school that she likes the least is sitting in her seat. And uh, I was there. I understand that. Uh, Brett Dillard. We, we need to see Brett for this. Can you just stand up? I want everybody to see this. Brett, that's, that's Amanda and Randy's little boy. And, and this is going to make more sense when you see this. His favorite part of school is lunch. And the part of school that he lacks the least is when I'm not at lunch. In some way, he plans on spending his adulthood putting his big fingers in your mouth. He wants to be a dentist. And so that'll be interesting to see how that works. Little Ethan Crisp, when he grows up, he wants to be a black belt. Uh, Emily Shannon, what makes a teacher a great teacher? Now, you teachers might be surprised at this. If they let you use their microwave. <laughs> Austin, he's going in third grade. And he not only wants to play soccer when he grows up, he wants to be a soccer star. And Carter Williams wants to be a baseball player. Now, at the end of each one of these, it asks, how will school help you? So he wants to grow up, he wants to be a baseball player. How will school help you? School won't help me. And <laughs> I would think, surely, surely all of us have been here for this one. And if not, you had too much in life. But if you didn't have too much in life, you've been here for this one. Sean, he's in third grade. I look forward to school because I have a new backpack. You got to like that. And by the way, uh, what makes a great teacher is one that doesn't yell. And when he grows up, he wants to be a car. Eli Lloyd. Eli Lloyd is looking forward to school because they're getting a new playground at school this year. And when he grows up, he wants to be an author, A-T-H-U-R-E. Now, not everybody can figure out their life at such a young age, but Brooke Eakes has it all figured out. When she grows up, she wants to go to Cumberland to play softball, never get married and live with my parents, Mike and Stacy, adopt two Asian children and name them Skylar and Lexi, have three penguins that live in my bathtub, and be a PE teacher that volunteers at an animal shelter. But really what ties this morning's lesson and this lesson together is Jessica Beckham's answer to what makes a great teacher. And she said, being a Christian. What a difference. You've heard the schools mentioned tonight. So many schools are touched by this congregation. What if every student and every teacher, administrator, goes to school this month and they live Christ. What if every one of them live Christ where they are? What a powerful impact we can have upon our communities. Our challenge is, by nature, we want it easy. Now, I'm not saying all of that is bad, but we have to accept that it can be dangerous and that it can become bad. You know, instead of going to a music store and shopping around, we would just rather surf and download. And sometimes instead of that long conversation on the phone, we'd rather have a quick text. Instead of working that summer job that has an eight-hour shift, we'd rather have a three-hour shift. Instead of having that class that has a lot of homework, 
We would rather have class that has no projects, no term papers. Instead of Mondays, we'd rather have Saturdays. Instead of steps, we'd rather have escalators. Instead of pedaling, we'd rather coast. Instead of walking, we'd rather ride. Instead of cooking, we'd rather go to a restaurant. Instead of making hard decisions, we'd rather make easy decisions. By nature, we like things easy. But hopefully all of us realize, or at least could come to realize, that many of the best decisions in life do not travel the easiest paths. I would hope that every one of us would step up to the challenge to say, I'll never take the easy path because it's easy, but I'll evaluate and figure out which path is best, and that is the path I'll travel. Many of you have a school year out in front of you, if the Lord wills time, that school year is out in front of you and it's almost like a piece of clay right now that you get the opportunity to mold it. What will it become? What will it be? And do you realize it'll never be what it could be and it'll never be what God intends for it to be if your idea is, I want to figure out the easiest way to get through a class. I want to figure out the easiest way to get through school. I want to figure out the easiest way to get through relationships. I want to figure out how to do the least. I want to figure out how to get the most for free. That's not living. The truth is, that's just waiting to die. The best life to live is when we stand up with a backbone of courage and say, bring on the hard stuff. I walk with a God who is greater than anything this world can offer. And you know what? Our God has never had a problem with asking us to do great things. You flip through the pages of the Bible, God has never had a problem asking a, a young man to face a giant. He's never had a problem asking a 500-year-old man to build an ark. He's never had a problem asking a patriarch to offer his only son upon an altar. He's never had a problem asking his own son to come to this earth and die. He's never had a problem asking 12 men to leave behind their careers and walk with them and give their very life, not just in service, but all except John, we believe, died a life of martyr. It concerns me. When we paint a picture of Christianity that looks so easy, that in return, we look to the cross and we say things like this. Can you imagine Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us? I mean, who would do that? Who would die on the cross for someone? That's such a, an awesome gift. I'm not belittling Christ's death on the cross, but friends, the reason His death stands out among all other deaths is because He was a perfect sacrifice. He was God on earth and He died. But do you realize He asked nothing less than that from us? If our idea is Christianity is easy, we hadn't read the Bible. God's answer is, will you die on the cross for me? God doesn't want just a part of our life. God isn't looking for an easy, casual walk. God is looking for individuals. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. God's looking for students that would go to school this year teachers, administrators that would go to school this year 
And every day they would pick up the will of God after they've crucified self-will. The first century was full of individuals that they died deaths probably almost, if not as painful as Jesus Christ's death. Does that make sense? The beauty of Christ's death is not because He was willing to die. It's because He was perfect and He died for us. But every one of us should be willing to die the same death Jesus died. Because the best things in life aren't easy. The best things in life don't follow the path of little resistance. And when we look at the life of Moses, we see a man who knew, in one sense, a life of ease. But in another sense, he chose to not follow that path throughout his life. His parents were Amram and Jochebed. And if you go back to Exodus, the second chapter, in the Bible that's in your pews, it's about page 51. 51, the Bible that's in your pews. If we were to flip over to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, it would talk about his parents and it would say, they did not fear the king's command. Now, what's the big deal about not fearing the king's command? You see, Israel, who had been enslaved by Egypt, had been growing so powerful in number that the fear was if an enemy comes over and Israel joins hands with that enemy, they would take over Egypt. And so the Pharaoh's mindset was, we have to destroy some of the power of the Israelites. And so first, he tried three things. The first thing he tried was having taskmasters literally work the men to death so that there would be less men, so that there would be less potential soldiers. That didn't work. So the next thing he did was went to the midwives and says, take the baby boys when they die and kill them. Again, that would take away future soldiers. That didn't work. And so then the command came, anytime a boy is born to the Israelites, he is to be thrown into the Nile River. You imagine what it might have felt like when Jochebed was giving birth and a midwife says these words, it's a boy. How would you feel, mothers? Would there be that feeling of, oh, why this time? I, a few years ago, I had a daughter. Why couldn't it have been a daughter again? I'm terrified. I'm horrified. I'm paralyzed in fear. What are we going to do? It's a boy. What are we going to do? The scripture says she wasn't fearful. Why? I don't know if I know all the answers why, except the scripture tells us it was because of their faith. That alone is enough. But what did their faith do? When we look to Exodus, the second chapter, we see that their faith led them to make a plan. When you think of something in advance, a lot of times it's called premeditated. And when we think of a very, very scriptural word, it would be meditate. And as we develop this point tonight, I just want to ask our, our youth, I want to ask our adults, how well do we do at meditating? How well do we do of taking God's word and saying, how does that look lived out in my life? For example, they knew when this son was born, they were going to have to come up with a plan. They meditated and they worked a beautiful plan. Scanning just a few things here. You see in the second chapter, verse 2, the child is born and he's a beautiful child. And they hid him for three months and then she makes an ark and she makes that little basket so that it would float in the water. And she laid it in verse 3, the end of 3, in the reeds by the river's bank. And then 
Which, by the way, you know, when I was a child, I always thought that, that the story of Moses was like she made the basket and, and she kind of placed it in this fast-moving stream and it was kind of like, I hope somebody finds him. Well, when you see her plan, it wasn't that at all. She not only placed him in that basket, but she placed that basket exactly where she intended for it to be. She needed a source of information, so she places the older sister, that's Miriam, probably about 10 to 15 years older than Moses, places it, verse 4, you see, She's placed there to watch in verse 5. This is where Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe. And so she finds him in the reeds there. And then, of course, this is the days before formula. And so what are they going to do to be able to feed this newborn? They have to find a woman who has just had a baby so that she can nurse this child. Now keep in mind, the Hebrew women have been having to throw, or their babies have been thrown into the Nile River. And so Miriam is there to suggest to the uh, mother-to-be, to Pharaoh's daughter, I can find a Hebrew woman. Now, you and I already know what that plan is. When the daughter says, a Pharaoh says, find me a Hebrew nanny that can take care of her, she's going to go back to his very own mother. And in verse 9, she even is paid to be his mother. And so it's a beautiful plan that they have worked out, and it works exactly as they plan. Note this. Fear paralyzes us. Young people, if there's something you're afraid of this year, you don't know how you're going to stand strong. You don't know how you're going to make the decisions that are right. If you allow fear to dominate your life, you won't make the right decisions. But make a plan of righteousness and work that plan. And that's when great things could be done. Let's see this meditation out of Philippians, the fourth chapter. Turn over in the Bible that's in your pews there, 1044, or in your Bibles to Philippians, the fourth chapter. Philippians 4, we read in verse 8, Finally, brethren, 4 and 8, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble or honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, here it is, meditate on these things. What is God saying? God says, I want you to think about things that are true and honest. What are you going to do this year when someone asks you, to cheat with them on a test. You know it's going to happen. So what's your answer going to be? And if you say, I don't know exactly how I'll handle that, odds are you won't handle it right. What's meditation? Meditation is to say, I know what God's will is. I know what righteousness is. Now let me meditate. How is that going to be lived out in my life? How many of you young people have a, a movie or two or three or four that you enjoy watching like the second time and the third time and the fourth time? See, that amazes me. That lets me know how weird I am. I can put on one hand the number of movies I've decided to watch a second time. I just, you know, it's kind of like I knew what was going to happen because it happened the last time I watched that movie. I don't need to watch it again. But I realize I'm very odd with that because most everybody else really, really enjoys watching movies second, third, and fourth time. Now, what's meditation? Meditation is the opportunity to, in your mind, see something lived out so that then when you're confronted with it at school this year, it won't be the first time. In other words, you won't find yourself saying, Oh, that blindsided me. I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. No, you know what to say and you know what to do because you've already meditated upon it. You've already, like Jochebed, you've already come up with a plan to say, this is how I'm going to handle it when I'm asked to cheat. This is how I'm going to handle it when, when, when the talk becomes vulgar or profane. This is how I'm going to handle it when, when uh, something is, is happening so that someone is gossiping about somebody or somebody's being cut out of the picture. This is how I'm going to handle it when, when a teacher is pushing my buttons and really making me angry. How are you going to handle it? God's spoken on it. 
And meditation is to say, I'm going to take God's will and I'm going to live it out in my mind so that I can handle it in the right way. Meditation is a wonderful way to have a righteous year at school. When you go back just a few pages to Acts, the, second, the seventh chapter, and it's on page 971, the Bible's in your pew. I'd like for you to think about the word mighty. What God wants you to do this year is not live a, a soft life, an easy life. He's not looking for you to be weak in the faith. God is looking for you to be strong. God is looking for you to be mighty. And you know, one of the things that's always connected with strength that is of real worth is knowledge. Knowledge is powerful. And when we think about Moses, it is really amazing to think about, for example, look at Matthew 7, 21 and 22. This is where in Stephen's uh, lesson just before he is killed, uh, this is where he tells some about the life of Moses. In the 21st verse, but when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in word and deed. So who's Moses? Moses is a man who grew up in the wealthiest household in the whole nation. He grew up in the most powerful household in the whole nation. The greatest of education that would have been offered to anybody in Egypt would have been offered to him and to his family. The best possessions would have been his and his family's. He would have had prestige. He would have had honor. He would have had great, great resources. For example... Do you realize if Moses could be reincarnated, if he could be brought back to this earth again, and let's say that it was announced all over the world. I know this sounds crazy, but stay with me for a minute. It's going to be announced all over the world that Moses is going to live in Mount Juliet, Tennessee for five days. Do you realize how many people all around the world would fly into Mount Juliet to talk with Moses? Because there are things that he and the Egyptians knew that we still don't know. Do you realize the education he would have received? For four to 5,000 years, the pyramids were the highest structures mankind has ever built, and we still don't know how they built them. And the mathematical layout of them still blows individuals' minds today with the advancement that we have. Young people, this may be old news to you, or if it's new, you need to think about this. We literally do not know how they did what they did, and we call it an ancient culture, and yet in some ways, they must be so much more advanced than us. If Moses were here today, people would say, I've got to talk with him. What is it that he knows? Here's what the Bible says he knows. The Bible says when he spoke and when he did things, it was mighty. Secular history records, I don't know if you noticed that when we scanned Exodus 2, it talked about him being a beautiful baby. And then in Hebrews 11, it also talks about him being a beautiful baby. And then here in Acts 7, it talks about him being mighty in, in, in this knowledge and the way he would speak and the way he would act. Secular history says that whenever he would ride his golden barge down the Nile River because he was such a handsome man that was revered by everybody because of his power and his wisdom and knowledge. They said that everyone would stop and they would watch him go by because it was simply amazing that Moses was in their presence. 
a handsome man that was mighty in words and deeds, the grandson of Pharaoh. Who was he? He was a man that many individuals would say, by today's standards, he had it all. But do you realize, he walked away from what many individuals say is having it all for something much, much better. And this is the point we'll close with. Turn back to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. I'd like for you to see three verses and we'll close. You see, we really don't have it all until we're ready to move toward God. Now his move was going to be drastic. He was going to move from prestige. He was going to move from possessions. He was going to move from what the world would say was a place of pleasure, the, the palace. And he was going to live the next 80 years of his life in a wilderness. Now many individuals would say, that doesn't make sense. Why would anyone make that move? Let's get God explain to us what Moses was willing to do to move closer to God. Let's look in Hebrews 11 here, and let's begin reading in 24. By faith, Hebrews eleven twenty four. it's page 1069, the Bible is in your pew, 1069. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He gave up prestige. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He gave up temporal pleasure. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Possessions. What did he give up? He would leave and never be known again as Pharaoh's grandson. But what he would be known as? A child of God. Which is better? He left the pleasures of sin because they're only for a season. Yeah, sin looks really good at first, but that pleasure doesn't last. And he was willing to suffer affliction with Christ and with God's people because it doesn't last either. Because what lasts is eternity with the Almighty God. And that is worth whatever suffering that we give up. And he was willing to give up the riches of Egypt to enjoy greater riches with Christ. I want to give you an analogy that I know doesn't touch everyone. But if, if you could just be patient to see the point I'm simply trying to make. Do you recognize how wealthy some of you are? Some of you have parents that have loved God as long as you've been alive. All you have ever known are parents that have taught you to look up and live for the Almighty God. From a young age, you've had parents that have taught you to pray to the Almighty God. You've had parents that have taught you the Word of God and how to study the Word of God. You have a church family that loves you and would do anything that we possibly could do for your well-being. You have an almighty God that loves you so much He gave His Son to die on the cross for you. You've been adopted into His family. Do you realize how rich you are? I mean, think about it. If you take the population of teenagers 
in the U.S., you are by far in the very, very top percentile of riches. I hope you treasure that. I hope you value what really is most valuable. Moses looked at a palace with everything this world had to offer. And he gladly turned his back on it to take everything that God has to offer for an eternity. And we can meditate upon that. When we become mighty in God, because we're constantly moving toward God, then, then we figured out how to enter a school year. Then we figured out how to enter into life. Life that has purpose. Life that has the greatest fulfillment. Young people, we love you. We want you to do well in school. We want you to represent your God well. And we want to help you when you fall. We want to help you get up. And when you're strong, we want to pull from your strength and your example. And tonight, we hope that you'll look to this school year as a wonderful opportunity to live for Christ. Maybe you're not a Christian tonight. And maybe tonight is the night you say, I do want to become mighty by God's strength. Not by our own. By our own, we're feeble. But if you're a believer that's willing to repent of sins and ready to be immersed into Christ, what better time than now? Maybe you've done that and, and along the way you've allowed sin to separate you from God and you want to come back to Him tonight and find your strength in Him again. If we